We're grateful, Father, that you are in control of everything. Uh, You told Joseph to tell Pharaoh that there were going to be seven good years of economic prosperity, and then you said there are going to be seven years of famine. You control all things. You control economic cycles. You control the weather. You control what we call natural disasters. All of it, Lord, is under your control and under your sovereignty. You're the great commander-in-chief. And we are so grateful to be in your family. And not only are we in your family, but we are in your army because this is a battle and this is a war. You tell us in Ephesians 6, to put on the full armor of God. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God that we may be able to stand firm against the strategies of the devil. And um, we've got a sword, which is the word of God, and we've got a helmet, and we've got a shield to fight off the fiery darts of the enemy, and we've got the belt of truth, We've got the breastplate of righteousness. We've got the right footwear so we can stand firm under attack. Uh, There is a war, Lord. There is a battle. But you are leading us, and you're in charge. And we have learned that when we come to love you and follow you with our whole hearts, the enemy comes after us. Not because of us, but because of you. He hates you. And some of us here tonight are, quite frankly, a little battle-weary. It's been pretty intense. We've got guys in here that uh, they look fine, but, but they're wounded, and they're hurting, and they're bleeding. We've got guys in here with broken hearts. We've got guys in here that uh, have taken a real hit over the last several months a major disappointment, a major reversal. So we're in a battle. We're in a war. It's serious stuff. But you assign us to our post, and we oftentimes feel that where we are and what we're doing is not all that significant, but it is. Uh, There are no little people, and there are no little places, and you have called us to be faithful where we are. I pray, Lord, that uh, you would encourage us tonight to stay at our post and to remain faithful and not to become weary in well-doing, but, but to stand firm. Help us not to compromise. Help us to stand for truth when everyone around us is caving in. It's not easy to do, but it's what you've called us to do. We are so privileged to know you, and we're, we're so privileged to have your word. Thank you for the promises that you have given us, and we live off of those promises, and we are grateful. A lot of us have been the promise keepers, but those of us who have been have all broken promises. But you never have broken a promise. 
never. Not once. When Joshua finished up the end of his book, he said that you had not failed to fulfill one of your promises. And that's been our experience and will continue to be our experience no matter what comes. So for your faithfulness, we are grateful. We, we count on it. We live off of it. It, it is what keeps us going. Thank you for the privilege of being in your family. Thank you for the privilege of being your sons. Not because of anything we did, but because you took the initiative and redeemed us and saved us and adopted us into your family. And it's something we can never lose. That is mind-boggling. And it is incredibly reassuring. So teach us tonight by your spirit. Give each guy what he needs. We all need different stuff. But we all have needs. So we look to you to provide. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're talking about the basics. We're talking about the fundamentals of the Christian life. We're, we're, we're talking about the things that we never get away from. Whatever it is you do, there are certain fundamentals that you've got to stay on top of. There are certain things that you've got to keep working and keep applying. And, and the great pull in whatever your area of responsibility is, is to get distracted and to get so busy and to get so overwhelmed that you get off of those basic fundamentals. That's, that's true not only in your occupation and what you do, uh, it, it's true not only in your marriage. Uh, there are certain fundamentals we do as husbands. Husbands love your wives just as Christ loved the church. That means you, in order to, to be the man that God wants you to be, uh, you're going to take some shots. You're going to take some hits. You're going to take some undeserved criticism you're going to get hurt for your wife just as Christ got hurt for the church. That's a fundamental. And it gets old and it gets tiring sometimes. Um, we're, to be, we're to be plugged into our kids and to our grandkids, and that takes work. It takes emotional energy because we're tired when we get home. But the scriptures say that fathers are not to exasperate their children. How do you exasperate a kid? By not listening to them, by not being tuned in, by being short, by... And we don't want to be that way. So what do we have to do? we got to work the fundamental of being a father who is connected. It's, it's the end of Malachi. And he, when he comes, will restore the hearts of the fathers to the children and the children to the fathers, lest I come and smite the lamb with the curse. we always got to work to be connected to our kids, be connected to our grandkids. It's work, but it's a fundamental that we work on. In, in our walk with the Lord, there are certain Fundamentals. You know, John Bunyan wrote that book, Pilgrim's Progress. I like that. I like the term progress because a lot of times we feel that we're not making progress. Uh, we're on a journey. We're, we're, on a, uh, we're on a trail. We're going somewhere. We're on our way to heaven. And when, I, I tell you what, the older I get, the better heaven looks. When I was a kid, I wasn't all that excited about heaven. 
I, I, remember, I, I remember one night after church on Sunday night, because we went to church on Sunday night, as well as Sunday morning, as well as Wednesday night, and usually at least one other deal during the week. I remember after church Sunday night, I was in the back seat. I'm probably seven or eight years old. And uh, the pastor would talk about, he talked talked about the return of Christ. He was talking about the rapture. And, And you know what? I got a little concerned. And as we were driving home, I was asking my dad some things. And uh, I was asking questions and when he thought it might be, because I was worried about when the Lord might come back. And you know why I was worried? In fact, I just came out and I said, Dad, you know what? This, maybe this doesn't sound right, but uh, I mean, I want the Lord to come back, but I want to get my driver's license. <laughs> you know, when you're seven, that's a big deal. That's a, that's a darn tootin' big deal, get your driver's license. Well, the older I get... I'm ready anytime, and that's how you are. Because you know what? We, we got some miles on our tires. We're a little beat up. You, you get a little worn down. You need some shocks. You need some struts. Anytime, Lord. You, it's your call. Anytime, I'm ready. You see? It, it's, it's a journey. It's a hard journey. It's, it's a hard drive. That's why John Bunyan wrote Pilgrim's Progress. Now, in order to continue on in the Christian life and the mature, we got to work certain fundamentals. So the first night, we talked about the importance of the Bible and the Word of God. It all centers around the Scripture. And then we talked about, uh, we talked about the importance of biblical meditation and the importance of thinking about what God has said, putting it in our minds and chewing on it, pondering it. The, the Bible is full of facts. The Bible is, is full of things that are either true or they're not true. We believe that they are true. So when we face the different things in life, I've got to live off of the promises of God. The promises, God has said, I'll do this. God has said, I'll be there. God has said, I'll always make a way. God has said, I'll always be uh, uh, your provision. And, And so when we face these different things in life, the way we make it is we live off of the promises of God. Now, and then last week, we had a wonderful session. Once again, it was a little humor there. But uh, I'm not getting any response, so we'll move quickly on. What, uh, what I was going to do last week and what I'm going to do tonight, to me, the next thing chronologically as we talk about the Christian life, you've got the scriptures, and then you've got meditating on scriptures, and now we come to prayer. In Matthew chapter 6, I'd like you to turn there with me. Uh, Matthew chapter 6 is in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, now, the Sermon on the Mount, what, what does that mean? It's the Sermon on the Mountain. It, 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 when you get a chance to go to Israel, you, you'll love going. And when you get up on the north side of the Sea of Galilee, you'll see Capernaum. And that was sort of the base that Jesus used. He worked out of Capernaum. Uh, and as you, right around Capernaum, you, know, you got that beautiful Sea of Galilee. And then these, when, when you come off that sea you've immediately, you've got incline that go right up into these beautiful hills. And all of these hills, I mean, they're hills slash mountains. And they're full of natural amphitheaters. And, and, and you see them while you're there today. Somewhere up there around Capernaum, Jesus gave the Sermon on the Mount. Ton. The Sermon on the Mount is a sermon on a mountain. It's a sermon on a hill. They all gathered around. 
kind of a natural amphitheater. They're all stacked around, and he's there teaching. And in Matthew 6, he begins to talk about the whole issue of prayer. I'm curious, how many of you guys, and I'd like to see your hands on this, how many of you guys um, are comfortable that you pray enough? Let me see your hands. Okay. Let's go it the other way. How many of you guys don't think you pray enough? Okay, those are the guilty guys. These are the guys that have been raised in evangelical Christianity. Um, you, you know what's interesting about prayer? There's a, whenever you talk about prayer, there's, there's all kinds of guilt. Because we hear stories of people, of missionaries, who were great prayer warriors. Have you ever heard of praying, a guy named Praying Hyde, H-Y-D-E? I don't even remember his first name. I read a biography, and I couldn't tell you his first name. Maybe was it John Hyde? That might have been. But his nickname was Praying Hyde. Because what this guy would do all the time, this guy was a prayer warrior. And what this guy would do is that, is that he would pray four, five, six hours a day on his knees. Just like you do. <laughs> Just like I do. Martin Luther said, I have so much work to be done that I can't get it done if I don't begin with four hours of prayer every morning. Well, that's certainly my experience. When I hear that, when you hear that, how does that make you feel? It makes you feel guilty. It makes you feel inadequate. It makes you feel like a slug with slime going across the carpet. Some of you guys are losing your hair. You sort of look like a slug, to be real honest with you. <laughs> Now, when the slime starts going behind you, you need to check into a hospital. Most of you aren't there yet. Uh, but when you hear those stories, four hours a day, six hours of prayer, that just puts me under the table. And, and what does it do? It, 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 it creates an amazing amount of guilt. So how many of you feel that you pray enough? Just a few guys. The vast majority of us, when we talk about prayer, we, we feel guilty. Oh, I don't pray enough. Nobody prays enough. Doesn't the Bible say pray without ceasing? Are you praying right this moment, Steve? No, you're listening to me. You're in habitual sin. <laughs> and so are the rest of us. So when it says pray without ceasing, what the heck does that mean? How can I pray without ceasing and keep a job? See, all that's going to do is put you under the pot. Now listen, the scriptures are incredibly practical. Did Paul do all kinds of work? Did Paul, my gosh, he, he, he wrote all these epistles. He's always on a ship. He's always going and starting a church. He's always preaching. He's always showing up at the synagogue, talking to the Jews. So, so was, was Paul just praying all the time? No, but you see, it, it's basically a back burner thing. It, 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 where's Greg with his Bluetooth? I just saw it. There you are. Greg walks into the Bluetooth, and I kid him. And some of you guys have the Bluetooth thing. So you know what that is? That's prayer. That's prayer. You just got it, and it's on. I, I was in Omaha, I don't know, a few months ago, when it was 12 below zero. And uh, I left quickly and came back. But I was there. And when I walked into the church for the conference... Uh, the guy who was putting it on, uh, his wife was there and a couple other people, and he said something, and then I said something to him, 
And then I realized he wasn't talking to me. He had a, is it called a Bluetooth? He had a Bluetooth. He was on the phone with somebody. Um, and then a few minutes, so I met everybody else, and then a few minutes later, he said something to me, and I turned away because I thought he was on the phone. <laughs> but he wasn't on the phone. He was talking to me. It's very confusing. But see, that's sort of how prayer is as you go through your day. Um, let me give you a principle on prayer. Prayer is not necessarily to be long, but prayer is to be often. Let me say that one more time. Prayer is not necessarily to be long, but it is to be often. Jesus is going to talk about prayer. And we're all familiar with the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. We all know that prayer. Jesus said, when you pray, pray like this. So Jesus is going to get into the Lord's Prayer. Before the Lord gets into, before Jesus gets into the Lord's Prayer, the Lord's Prayer, what he first does in Matthew chapter 6 is that he tells us how not to pray. Because there's a right way to pray and there's a wrong way to pray. And I will tell you guys this. I don't think God wants us under a perpetual pile of guilt when it comes to prayer. I think that defeats the entire purpose of prayer. Prayer is a benefit that God has given to his sons and to his daughters. It's interesting to me that in this passage, in Matthew 6, when you begin with verse 1 and you go all the way to verse 18, in those 18 verses, 10 times, Jesus refers to God as our Father. Our Father. You see it in verse 6, verse 1. You see it in verse 4, your Father. Uh, you see it in verse 6. You see it in verse 8, your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Verse 9, our Father who is in heaven. Verse 14, Father. Verse 15, Father. You see it in verse 18, twice. Uh, the Koran has 90 different words for Allah or God. Not one of them is Father. Not one. The Dome of the Rock, you've seen that mosque with the gold dome in Jerusalem. You see it on CNN. You see it on Fox News all the time. Reporters reporting from Jerusalem. You see it in the background. As you enter into that mosque, there is a phrase, and the phrase says, God is no... Let me back up. It says, God is not a father, and he has no son. Well, that's wrong. God is a father. And he has a son, and in this passage, his son is teaching us about praying to the Father. I read an article uh, last month on uh, Steve Jobs, the Apple guy. And you, you know his story, and everything that guy touches right now is just turning to gold. What was interesting is that this article made reference, you know, Steve Jobs was adopted when he was a young boy into a blue-collar family in San Jose. Um, his father is uh, 
was a man that came over from Syria and apparently was in a PhD program and met his mother and she was pregnant and they weren't married and he was given up for adoption. But um, he has absolutely no relationship with his father. None. None. Zip. No relationship. They never talk. They never converse. There's just no relationship. Now, that's not the way it's supposed to be between a father and a son. Fathers and sons are to be connected. Fathers and sons are to talk. Fathers and sons are to interact. Fathers and sons are to know each other's heart. The Malachi passage never ceases to amaze me. The last book of the Old Testament, we talked about this before in here. The last book of the Old Testament, Malachi 4 is the last chapter in the Old Testament. Flip over there. Just go to your left, you're going right into Malachi. Or Malachi, if you're Italian. So you see Malachi 4. That's the last chapter of the last book. By the way, between Malachi 4 and you turn the page to the right, and you got Matthew 1. And then I got one page separating the end of the Old Testament and the beginning of the New Testament. Don't you have the same thing? Do you know that that one page separating the end of Malachi with the beginning of Matthew represents 400 years of silence? God didn't speak for 400 years. So what is the last thing that God says before he is going to be silent for 400 years? What's the last thing he discusses? All kinds of things he could have talked about. All kinds of things he could have mentioned. But the very last thing he says, Behold, I'm going to send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. Now, we know from Luke 1.17 that this is a reference to John the Baptist. It's a fulfillment. Okay? But what's John the Baptist going to do? Well, John the Baptist, we know, did two things. Number one, he prepared the way of the Lord. We all know that. You know the second thing that John the Baptist did? He fulfilled Malachi 4.6. He will restore the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers so that I will not come and smite the land with a curse. When fathers and children are not connected, it's a curse not only on the family but on the entire nation. So why is our nation in so much trouble, and why is our nation in so much difficulty? Well, you could come up with a whole lot of issues, but one of the issues is, is that 40% of children in America tonight will go to sleep in homes where their fathers are not present. It's epidemic. It's absolutely epidemic. So when the enemy... When the enemy can get in between a father and a son and a father and a daughter and disconnect, all kinds of negative things happen. That is not the way God wants it to be. God wants the hearts of the fathers connected to the sons and to the daughters. That's the way it's supposed to be. And when you're, and when you're connected, what do you do? You talk. And you have a relationship. And you're honed in on each other. How you doing? What can I do for you? What? See, it's... It's the way it's supposed to be. So if that's the way it's supposed to be with our human relationships, what about our relationships with, with, with God the Father? 
See, this is where prayer comes in. What is prayer? It's communicating with your father. That's what it is. That's prayer. Now, there's a right way to pray, and there's a wrong way to pray. So let's go to Matthew 6. Jesus is going to start out by saying, hey, guys, here's how I don't want you to pray. And, and he doesn't mince words, and, and he doesn't miss around. Um, I've got Matthew 6 here in my Bible somewhere, right between Matthew 5 and Matthew 7. Thank you very much. Here's what he says, beginning with verse 5. He says, if you pray, that's not what he says. He assumes we'll pray. He said, well, see, he says, when you pray. And, and oftentimes people say, oh, wait a minute, doesn't God know everything? Doesn't God, have, doesn't, doesn't God have a plan? Yeah. Well, then why should I pray? Because Jesus said, when you pray. You say, well, that doesn't make much sense to me. Well, I know. But if you don't think that makes sense, um, look at verse 8. He says, your father knows what you need before you ask him. Okay. When you pray... And then he says, um, your father knows what you need before you ask him. Okay. Well, then, In my mind, the logical question would be, well, then why the heck should I ask him? If he knows what I need before I ask him, then why should I ask him? When your kids were small, did they ever come to you with a heavy heart? Did your little girl ever come to you and there was a big crisis in her life? And you know what? She started pouring out her heart to you. And as she's pouring out her heart, you already know everything about the crisis. In fact, you know stuff about her crisis she doesn't even know. You know more about her heavy heart than she knows. And so your little four-year-old girl, she climbs up in your lap and she starts telling you, Daddy, this and that. And, and you know what you say? You, you say, sweetheart, look it. Just get to the bottom line. Is that what you say? She's pouring out her heart. She's got little tears in her eyes. And, and you know, sweetheart, uh, you know what? There's a playoff game coming on. Daddy's real busy. No, you don't do that. Why? She's pouring out her heart. Do you already know the situation? Yeah. Do you already know what she needs? Yeah. Do you want her to pour out her heart to you? Yes, you do. Yes, you do. Prayer isn't for us to let God in on what's going on. Prayer is for us to realize the benefit that we have of being connected to a father who cares about everything that's going on in our lives. Everything. He cares about everything. There's nothing too small to bring to him. Nothing. That's a privilege. That's why we pray. Now, but Jesus says, look at guys. He didn't say guys. I'm saying that. He says, when you pray, here's how he starts. Verse 5, when you pray, you are not to be like the hypocrites. 
He hates hypocrisy. Don't you hate hypocrisy? You've been, if you've grown up in church, you've seen all kinds of hypocrisy. You've seen all kinds of games. You've seen all kinds of fakes. You've seen all kinds of people that play the game, and they're living like this, and they talk like this, and they look good, but they're just out-and-out fakes and fraud. A hypocrite is a fake. A hypocrite is an actor. And you know what he's talking about here? He's talking about the Pharisees. He went after these guys. I mean, he just, he just cut them to shreds. All the way through the Gospels, he's cutting them up. Now, who are the Pharisees? They're the religious guys. They're the guys that everybody knows is religious. They're the guys that they dress religious. They talk religious. They're always hanging out at the temple. They're always at the synagogue. They're the religious guys that, that, are, um, that, that, that see themselves as extremely important and lord it over other people and make all kinds of rules. They're bureaucrats is what they are. They're religious bureaucrats. And Christ despised them. And he took them on. And so when he says here, when you pray, you are not to be like the hypocrites. Don't be like the Pharisees. Do you know that six times Jesus healed somebody on purpose on the Sabbath in front of the Pharisees? Why didn't he heal the guy on Tuesday? He healed him on Saturday on the Sabbath in front of the Pharisees. Why? Because they loved their tradition. And by the way, who invented the Sabbath? Jesus did. It's his day. It's not their day. They're just some bureaucrats from D.C. putting all these regulations in. They added stuff to the Sabbath that wasn't there originally. They just keep piling it on. So Jesus would heal. Six times he healed on purpose. Just to tick those suckers off. And to show his greatness and his glory. So he healed, you know, guy with a withered hand. Stretch forth thy hand. Unbelievable. Everybody's giving glory to God except the bureaucrats, except the Pharisees. And why are they ticked off? They're ticked off because he healed on the Sabbath. Jesus said, hey, if you've got a donkey and it falls into a ditch, won't you pull him out on the Sabbath? Yeah, you will, you cotton-picking, no-good, reprobate Pharisee. That's in the original language. I mean, he just went after them. He just went after them. So Jesus is saying, hey, when you pray, you know what? I don't want you praying like the religious guys. Now watch it. Watch how he just cuts them in little pieces. Watch this. And see, I like this. You know why? Because this is real and it's practical. When you pray, you are not to be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners so that they may be seen by men. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. I was reading Matthew Henry a while back on this passage. Matthew Henry uh, in, in 1704 began writing his commentary on the Bible. And it's, it's still one of the greatest commentaries ever written on the scriptures. Uh, Matthew Henry, when he does this section, 
he entitles it. Here's his title for this section. It's called Pray or Pray. Let me explain that. It's P-R-A-Y or P-R-E-Y. What's that mean? When these guys prayed, they were looking for prey. They were hunting something. What were they hunting? See, when they prayed, you'll see it here when we read again. When you pray, you're not to be like the hypocrites. You're not to be like the actors. You're not to be like the frauds. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners, watch this, so that they may be seen by men. The whole reason they P-R-A-Y-E-D, the whole reason they prayed is that they were looking for P-R-E-Y. The whole reason they prayed was so that people would see them and say, isn't he religious and isn't he righteous? That's what was in their heart. So I'm reading on Matthew Henry, and he starts giving a list of P's. So I'm just going to steal his outline. And, and notice how accurate it is. Number one, he says, notice, notice the Pharisees, notice the places of prayer. When Jesus says, when you pray, do not pray like these guys. So that means, number one, don't pray in the places. You say, well, what's the place? Well, it says, they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners. Now, what's interesting is, when the synagogues is where all the action took place. And the Jews would gather there, and the synagogue was a place for prayer and worship, and it was also a place for social interaction. There was nothing wrong with praying in a synagogue. But there was a lot of traffic in the synagogue. There was a lot of people around the synagogue. And if you're looking for the approval of men... A good place to pray is in the synagogue. Now, does everyone who pray in the synagogue, are they looking for the approval of men? No. But these guys were. So Jesus says the place of prayer is the synagogue where they can be seen, and it's on the street corners. Now, let me show you interesting here. When it, when it says on the street corners, there's another word in verse 2 that is translated street or streets. It's a different word. The word in verse 2 means narrow street. The word in verse 5 means a broad street or an intersection or a street corner. So in other words, Jesus said, these guys are hypocrites, and when you pray, don't go down to the intersection of the tollway and 635 and stand there and pray so that everybody can see you. When these guys pray... They're praying in a particular place for a certain reason. They're hypocrites. Okay. Secondly, notice the posture of their prayer. What's the posture? They love to stand. It was not unusual for, for Jews to stand. But you know, one guy can stand and another guy can stand, and they're both praying, but their hearts are completely different. See, it always comes down to the heart, doesn't it? Isn't prayer interesting? Prayer is very interesting. You, you know, uh, when you pray in front of a group, or when you're asked to pray, maybe you got a, a Bible study, or, you, you know, when you got people around and you're asked to pray, you got to really be careful. You know why? Because the tendency is to start praying for the benefit 
of impressing those who are listening as opposed to praying directly to the Father. You know what I'm talking about, don't you? All has to do with our hearts because we're all screwed up inside. Which leads to the pride of prayer. What's the pride of prayer? Well, it's already in the text and we've already looked at it. The pride of prayer, and here's the hard issue with these guys, they did all this stuff so that they would be seen by men. They stood so they'd be seen by men. They were in high traffic locations so that they'd be seen by men. That was the whole deal. They wanted to be seen by men and they wanted the approval of men. They wanted men to think, this guy is really righteous and this guy is really holy. Now, there's a product to this kind of praying, and the product that comes from this kind of praying, Jesus says, truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. The first time I ever heard Mac Brunson preach, Mac was pastor at First Baptist Dallas for several years. Now he's at First Baptist Jacksonville. I had not met Mac, but I was driving um, across town on a Sunday morning. I was speaking uh, over by Rockwall. And as I'm, I, I went over to preach, and on my way home, uh, I had KCBI on. And uh, Mac was on. He'd only been there at First Baptist a few weeks. And I'm listening to this guy. I think this guy can bring it. This guy's pretty good. And he was talking about giving. And uh, as, he's, as, he's, as he's preaching, and if you've ever been down to First Baptist, they got a lot of property, they got a lot of blocks, they got a lot of buildings. And this guy's been there maybe three, four, five weeks. And uh, he said, uh, I've noticed that there are a lot of buildings here at First Baptist. And a lot of these buildings are pretty impressive. And a lot of these buildings have someone's name on them. He said, well, let me tell you something. They've already got their reward. I thought, this sucker's got some cojones. (laughs) That took some guts. Because there are people sitting out there whose families gave that money with their names on the building. That took some guts. They've already got their reward in full. Uh, Jesus is saying, you want to pray for the approval of men? Great. You've already got your reward. Now look at uh, verse 6, if you would. Because now what Jesus is going to do, he's going to start telling us how it is that we should pray. By the way, you guys ever pray and uh, you're praying about something, maybe you, something on your heart, and you got a list, and you're praying maybe an issue with your son or something, and all of a sudden you find yourself wondering if the Mavericks are going to get out of the first round of the playoffs. And you're wondering about that Jason Kidd trade for that Harris kid if they should have done that. Because maybe that's a short-term solution, but what are they going to do next year because he's going to be 36? And, then, and all of a sudden you go, hey, wait a minute, I'm, pr- I'm supposed to be praying. Has that ever happened to you? Good. I'm glad it does. This happens to me all the time. 
I'll be honest with you. I don't think there's anything more difficult in the Christian life than praying. It's hard. It's hard. Because when we pray, our mind wanders. It's hard to stay on course. It's hard to stay on track, isn't it? Prayer is tough stuff. It's not easy to do. I'm glad you struggle with that. I'm glad I'm not the only one. Now watch what Jesus is going to do. He's going to start talking about how it is that we should pray. He says, but you, when you pray, go into your inner room, close your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. What Jesus is saying here is when you pray, pray in a private place. That's what he's saying. Prayer is not, and remember, he's contrasting with the, uh, with, the, with the Pharisees. He's saying, hey, they're out there where everybody can see them standing up. They're, uh, that's what they're doing. But when you pray, find a private place. Now, you know what's interesting to me when Jesus says, go into your inner room? I cannot find a place in the Gospels. Maybe I'm wrong, but I can't find a place where Jesus went into an inner room to pray. You know what he's talking, so, so is it a literal, you've got to find a literal closet, inner room kind of, you know what he's saying? Find a private place where you can get alone. What I read all the time in scripture is, by himself, Jesus went up to the mountain to pray. Why did he go up to a mountain? There are no closets in a mountain. He went up to the mountain because it's private. Isaac went into the field to pray. I do a lot of my praying walking around my pasture. I just walk and I pray out loud sometimes because there's nobody around. Uh, Peter went up to the rooftop to pray because it was private. Uh, all he's saying is, all he's saying is, prayer is a, is a private conversation. Don't you sometimes when you, there's someone you have a relationship, someone you want to know, you just want to get alone with them so you guys can talk? Sure. Yeah, just having a heart-to-heart. You're just talking. You're just hanging out. That's prayer. It's a private place where you can focus in, where you can hone in. So a private place, a closet, it can be your pickup on, on the tollway going to work in the morning. Just cut the radio for 15 minutes. I'm dead serious. You can go in your backyard in the morning, get a cup of coffee, get your Bible, go out in the patio, and that's your closet. At lunchtime, you shut the door and you cut the phone. Put it on mute. That's your private place. You see how this is? You see how it works? This is how it's supposed to be. No, verse 7. He says, and when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. What Jesus is saying here, here's another pre, another P. Jesus is saying, don't be predictable in your prayers. Don't always pray the same thing all the time. It's easy for us in prayer to get into meaningless repetition. I got a, I got a prayer that I automatically default to at dinner. And so do you. Don't we? One, one, one commentator I read said, uh, we all have our automatic prayers and when we've said them, then we can get down to prayer. We've all got the prayers that just come out. They're just wrote. Right? 
This is interesting to me. And when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition. I really like that. So some of you were raised Catholics. You got prayer beads. You know what prayer beads are? It's meaningless repetition. I say so many Hail Marys. That's meaningless repetition. Uh, Buddhists have prayer wheels. Uh, some churches, you light a candle. Oh, what does that mean? Well, the smoke goes up and as long, you know, there's something to it. Which, as I read that, that's done in Roman Catholic churches, but that was a carryover from Buddhism that influenced uh, Roman Catholics somehow through Spanish Muslims, and I can't explain that to you. But that's where that whole thing came from. Meaningless repetition. We have a lot of well-meaning people, Christian people, um, who talk about a private prayer language. I can't find a private prayer language in Scripture. I was raised in Pentecostalism. I was raised in it. Uh, and when I, see, when I see tongues in Scripture, tongues is a known language. It's a known language. Tongue, uh, tongues is a, is, a, is a public gift. 1 Corinthians 14.22 says, Tongues then is a sign not to believers, but to unbelievers. I know people that I respect them and I love them very deeply, and they've been told that uh, that's something they're to do in private. But when you read scripturally, and they, and they say, well, wait a minute, Steve, wait a minute. It says, if I pray with the tongues of men of angels. This is an angelic language. Well, let me ask you something. Do angels speak in gibberish when they show up? That can't be understood? No. Angels, whenever angels show up and they communicate, they speak in a known language. Do they not? Has an angel ever showed up and said something? When, when, uh, when the angel showed up to Mary and said, you're going to have a, a, a baby and you're a virgin, did she say, could you translate that for me? He spoke in a known language. If I speak with the tongues of men and angels, like that's some kind of gibberish. It's not gibberish, it's a language. We do not how to pray as we should, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groaning too deep for words. I heard it all my life growing up. Break down the verse. Oh, that's private tongues. No, it isn't. No, it isn't. Well, I'm praying in the Spirit. That's not what that verse says. We do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit himself prays for us, not through us. He prays for me. And it's not me. It's the spirit. In the Greek, it's middle voice. The spirit, it's like this. The spirit himself prays for me, not through me. He prays for me with groanings too deep for words. I've heard, well, private prayer, I'm groaning. No, 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 that's not what that verse says. It's the spirit of God groaning, not you. Well-meaning people. But, hey, listen, people that don't speak in tongues use meaningless repetitions all the time. Father, thank you for this food. Blessed are the nourishment of our bodies. Blah, 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 blah. And you don't even know what you're saying. I, I do that all the time. What the heck did I just say? Who am I talking to here? Am I grateful for this food? Not really. I'm just doing it because I'm supposed to do it. Right? That's how I was raised. You pray before you eat. I'm not a heathen. I'm, a, I'm not, hey, I pray before I eat. Do I think about what I'm saying? No. He just puts the button and it's like voicemail. Hi, this is Steve. Sorry I can't get with you right now. Believe your name and number. I'll get back with you as soon as I can. In Jesus' name, amen. That's, 
I'm as guilty of this as anybody. We just, it's our default position, right guys? So what I'm trying to do, what I'm trying to do, now that I'm 58, I'm hoping to get this down at least 40% before I die, is that when I pray, even at dinner, I'm thinking about what I'm saying, right? Don't use meaningless repetition. You're talking to your father. Amy Carmichael was a great woman of God. Grew up in a a privileged home in England and uh, uh, came to know the Lord and heard reports of missionaries coming back from the foreign field of how God was working and people were coming to Christ. Well, that touched her life, and she decided she wanted to be a missionary, so she goes to India. This little lady who had a lot of health issues, she was bold as a lion. And when she got to India, she found out that a lot of uh, Hindu families would take their little girls at a certain age, maybe 9 or 10 or 11, and take them to the Hindu temple and give them to the priest and sell them into prostitution. And it broke her heart. And you know what this little lady would do? She decided she was going to put an end to that. So she'd go over to those Hindu temples in the evening, and she'd take a little girl and bring her back. And those Hindu priests weren't real high on that. And so she was constantly having her life threatened. Constantly. Constantly. She rescued hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of little girls from a life of prostitution. But she always had physical problems, and as she got older, she became bedridden. And she just couldn't do much, but she could pray. And she was a lady that would stay in bed, and she would have her Bible, and she'd have her prayer journal. And, um, and she would pray six, seven, eight hours a day. There wasn't much else she could do. That's what she did. She'd read her scriptures. She'd pray. She had her list. But sometimes what she would do, as she, as she was just pouring out her heart to the Father, you know what she would do? Uh, notice what Jesus says here in verse 7. When you're praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. See, prayers don't have to be long, but they have to be often. Many words doesn't necessarily impress God. You know what she would do? There'd be times she's just praying, talking to the Lord about the situation. And sometimes, instead of, instead of going into the entire situation, there might be an issue that she was facing, or there was a need, or there was a meeting, or there was something coming up March 17th. You know what Amy Carmichael would do? She'd be praying, and she'd just say, Father, March 17th. March 17th. That was it. Because he knew all about March 17th. He knew everything was going on, everything that was happening, everything, you know. Did she, now, are there times when you go into all, well, just let it come from your heart. There are other times, though, she would just breathe a prayer. Lord, March 17th. March 17th. Does it have to be many words? No. Just has to come from your heart. See, prayer. Here's here's what I'm seeing in this. Prayer is to be um, prayer. Prayer is to be sincere. 
And when prayer is sincere, prayer can be simple. Just simple and sincere. Um, this, this is great. Is this not practical stuff? Does this not kind of take the load of guilt off you? It does me. Do I have to pray four hours a day? Do I have to pray long? Do I have, no, no. I'm just, I got the Bluetooth on. And I'm just, I'm just talking, I'm just talking to my father as I go through my day. You know, a lot of times before I send an email, I say, you know, Lord, give me wisdom here. Do I need to redo this? Do I need to say that differently? Will they read that differently than I intended? So I read it again. I just, Lord, I just need your wisdom here. Show me this. And sometimes I look at it, you know, I need to change that. I'm not a long prayer. I'm not three hours over the email. I got to write an email. But you know what? I, I, just, I just want wisdom for the email. You, you see? And then I go on, I send, send it. I'm going through the day and something will happen. I just, you know, Lord, I, I, I need wisdom here. I need direction because I'm, I'm going to this meeting and I'm not quite sure how this is going to, I'm not sure how this is going to pop. Would you go ahead of me here? I, I'm not sure what to say here. This is a tough situation. See, that's, it's simple. It's sincere. It doesn't have to be long. It doesn't have to be ponderous. You're just checking in with your, with your father. With your father. Who, who, by the way, is on your team. Flip over to Psalm 56. See, when it comes to prayer, we need to be reminded of something. Because once again, we get under the pile, and we get under the, oh, I don't pray enough, and I, you know, I, I'm not real good at praying, and Okay. Right in the middle of Psalm 56, he's got all kinds of stuff going on. He, he's, he's fighting off depression. He's fighting off, you know, a tough situation. He says in verse 8, you've taken account of my wanderings. You put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? Then my enemies will turn back in the day when I call. Watch this. This I know, that God, is for me. He's for me. He's not against me. He's for me. Why is he for me? Because he is my, what? Father. He's my father. And, and, and what kind of father is he? See, when you talk about a father, for some guys, that's not positive. Because some fathers are abusive. Some fathers abandoned. Some fathers would not listen. Some fathers are just constant critics. You could never please your father. No matter what you did, no matter what you did, you could come home with straight A's and he found something to criticize. See, that's why, and we'll get into this next week, that's why Jesus say, when you pray, pray like this, our Father who art in heaven. Well, what does that mean? He's not like the father that was always critical. He's not like the father you could never please. He, he's not like the father that abandoned you. He's not like the father that was abusive to your mom. See, when you pray, pray like this, our father who art in heaven. That's a whole different ballgame. Because we're talking about someone that's completely different, someone who's completely unique, someone that is completely tuned in. We're talking about someone who is for me. 
Not against me. He's for me because he's my, he's my father. So in eight, what does Jesus say? He says, so do not be like them. Like who? Like the Pharisees. Hey, you know, God hates hypocrisy. He hates it. Don't you hate it? Don't you hate hypocrisy when you see it? Don't you hate, hate, hate it when you see people that are just acting? They're just playing the game. They're playing the church game. Don't you hate it when you see somebody who was so cotton-picking, super spiritual at church on Sunday? <sighs> Gosh. Out where I live, past Louisville and Flower Mound, there is an intersection of 1171 and 377. There's nothing there. There's absolutely nothing there. In five years, there'll be 200 stores there. But right now, there's nothing there. Okay? It's just flat-out country, nothing. There's farms. But when I drive past that intersection, uh, more times than not, there's a guy who's got his car parked off on the gravel, and he stands there. And he's got a he's got a uh, he's got a coat and he's got a tie on, and he's kind of he kind of he's probably in his sixties and he kind of looks sour. He just kind of looks weird, and he's got a sign and he stands there uh, for hours. And the sign is about like this, and the sign says "Holiness unto the Lord," and he just stands there. So people drive by, and you see the sign. This guy looks like a sourpuss. He looks kind of weird, actually. And he's got this sign, holiness unto the Lord. I don't get that. I think that's weird. Now, I don't know the guy's heart, but I think it's weird. What the heck does that mean, holiness unto the Lord? Well, we know what it means because we're Christians. But people that don't know the Lord, what do you think they think when they drive by and see that sign? Holiness unto the Lord. Oh, it's holiness. Ho ho and the guy doesn't look like he's, he doesn't look like he's into it. He, he doesn't look like it's from the heart. He's just out there holding up the sign. See, I, 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 I've been in Christianity long enough that when I see someone doing something like that, I, I got to tell you what it makes me wonder. What kind of sin is going on in that guy's life? Now, you say you're judging him. I am. And I don't know the guy's heart. But see, I, 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 and, and what I need to do is just pull over one day and say, hey, let, let, let me ask you something. Explain this to me. Holiness under the Lord. What does that mean? I, I want to see what he has to say. And why are you standing out here holding the sign? Because does that lead anyone to Christ? I don't see the, I don't see a, the gospel there. I mean, at least, you know, every once in a while you'll see someone with John 3.16. At least they can get the gospel. But just holding the Son of the Lord? See, that doesn't add up to me. Why would you stand there holding a sign that looks religious and just stand there in the heat all day for eight hours? Is this... Are you getting my bafflement here at all? Does that, 
is it just later or what's going on? Is it just me? Is it a hormonal change I'm going through? I don't get that because you know what? It doesn't make sense and it's not practical and it doesn't fit into this. To me. I don't know the guy's heart, but I'll tell you what. It kind of looks religious, but it's not practical. It's not practical. Christianity is to be practical. And we're going to see next week how the Lord tells us how to pray. And by the way, the Lord's Prayer, you know the Lord's Prayer can become meaningless repetition. There are certain churches, and they pray the Lord's Prayer every Sunday. And you can be praying the Lord's Prayer. Jesus said, when you pray, pray like this. And you pray the Lord's Prayer, and you know what? You're into the second line, and once again, you're thinking of the Mavericks are going to make it out of the playoffs. And why did they trade for Jason Kidd? Because it's just... See, the Lord's Prayer can become meaningless repetition if it's not from the heart. Interesting. You know what God's looking for? He's just looking for our hearts. Hey, don't you love it? Let's go back to the little girl, four years old. Let's say your little girl who's four is now 24. She's not a little girl anymore. She's a young woman. Don't you love it when she comes and sits down and talks to you and starts telling you what's on her heart? Don't you love it when your son starts saying, hey, Dad, can I run something by you? Yeah. I, I'm, I'm, I'm working, I'm, I'm thinking about this, Dad, and I'm trying to sort this out. And he starts telling you, he said, I don't mean to bore you. My boys will say that to me sometimes. Oh, Dad, I don't want to bore you. Bore me? Are you kidding? What do you mean bore me? You're telling me what's in your life. You're telling me what's in your heart. What do you mean bore me? There's nothing more important to me than knowing what's going on in your life. Go on, tell me. Tell me what's going on. Well, I just keep talking. Keep talking. I want to hear what's going on. Isn't that how you are with your kids? And if you're not like that with your kids, you wish you could be. Because I've had times when my kids, weren't, we, we, we had some stuff and we weren't talking like that. There's nothing greater than hearing their heart. That's prayer. That's prayer. So, once again, you're driving on your way to work. Cut the radio for 10 minutes, 15 minutes. And say, Father, I just want to check in with you. Can I say something else about praying? You don't always have to be talking. You don't always have to be speaking. You know, Lord, I just want to check in with you. And sometimes when I'm praying, I just sit there and I don't say anything. Uh, a lot of times when I was growing up, I'd go with my dad and we'd be in the car. And you know what? We wouldn't say anything. And we'd get out of the car I said, hey, Dad, I sure enjoyed being with you. Sure enjoyed talking with you. And we might have said 15 words in 15 minutes. But it was just being with each other, right? Hey, it's, hey just, it's just your heart. You're just enjoying your father. And when something comes to your mind, and maybe you're just kind of stressed out, and you're, just, you're trying to figure it out, and you just say, you know, Lord, March 17th, or 2 o'clock meeting. He knows what's going on. Just check in with him. I don't mean to be irreverent, but let me close with this. 
sometimes we'll say to somebody, we're talking, and we'll just say, hey, can you just send me an email? Can you just shoot me an email on that? See, I think sometimes a lot of prayer, just shoot him an email from your heart. Doesn't have to be long. Doesn't have to be, just, emails are brief. They're short. They're to the point. That's prayer. That make any sense? Good. Let's pray. We're grateful, Father, that you are our Father. We're grateful that you're for us. We're grateful that we don't have to walk around in religious robes and pray three times a day and face Jerusalem. We can come to you anytime we want. The psalmist said, I love the Lord because he hears my voice. We have your undivided attention. And Lord, I, I think of the old Puritan writer who said, the Lord answers every prayer that I bring before him. Or he gives me what I should have prayed for. You're such a good God. Sometimes we pray for things, Lord, and it's the last thing in the world we need. And you don't give it to us. Sometimes we're praying wrongly, but you still want to hear from us. And even when we pray wrongly, even when we make a request that's not for our good, you'll give us what we should have prayed for because you're our Father and you're on our team and you're for us. We're so privileged to know you. Encourage us to pray, not under a pile, but under the privilege of sonship. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.